Titans fans should be really pleased. You have ensured that you have the best draft pick if you were to lose the division. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday, December the 30th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I am joined on a very early Friday morning. I almost said late Thursday night, but it is now 1 a.m. Friday morning. I'm joined by producer JT. JT, how are you? Are you still awake? I am still awake, and I'm feeling very indifferent after a long day and viewing this game on Thursday night, which is probably one of the most games in the history of games. I, if, if I most had to games. rank it, this yeah, game I would put was it, a game for sure. I would put it in one of the games for uh-huh. sure. Four quarters. Yep. 11 guys on each side. Yeah. At any given moment, there were referees and boy, there were they referees let you know, and they let you knew of, that they were there. A lot of yellow on the play. A lot the of laundry. Field. We're going to get into all of that. Um, of course, if you are listening, we appreciate you doing so. We've got a very, very big show today, and I'm excited because I have so much more to talk about in this show than I anticipated us having to discuss. I figured with this game being a throwaway game that meant nothing to the Titans, clearly the personnel situation reflected that. I was afraid we would not have much to say, and we'd be twiddling our thumbs and essentially making a glorified Titans news and best bet gauntlet episode. But no. The Josh Dobbs era of Tennessee Titans football is upon us, JT, and we will make uh, good on all of our uh, our um, misdeeds, our misgivings on Josh Dobbs later in the show. Our mea culpa is coming for all of you crazy, insane college football message board geniuses out there that were telling us that Josh Dobbs is elite. Um, he's not, but he is better than Malik Willis right now. That's for sure. We'll talk about that later. First, I want to, before we get into the actual show, remind people that this is a video show. And today we have a lot. I'm looking right now at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven clips that I took last night uh, in the Titans locker room. We were talking to players and coaches as we always do. And we have those clips to play throughout the show that you aren't going to be able to see unless you're watching the show. And yes, the whole point of me telling you this is that you can, in fact, watch the show. It's a video show. Go over to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube, find the Broadway Sports Media channel, and you'll find this show in its video form. You'll get to see our beautiful faces with all of our beautiful show graphics, and you'll get to see and hear the clips and different show-and-tell items that we have for you. We do a lot of work with videos and graphics that you can't appreciate unless you are watching the show on YouTube. So we appreciate you doing that and subscribing while you're over there. All right, so the Titans lose their sixth straight game they fall to the Cowboys 27 to 13. And this loss ensures that this is going to be Mike Vrabel's first losing season in his head coaching career. His Titans teams have gone nine and seven, nine and seven, 11 and five, 12 and five. And now the very best they can do if they win next week at Jacksonville is eight and nine. Essentially what, what caused his first losing season is just the unbelievable, truly unbelievable number of injuries that this team sustained among other things that that weren't great this year but really it was the injuries that I think caused them to not be at or above 500 for the first time in his tenure it was too much for him to overcome in that department this game was much more entertaining than I expected it to be JT I don't know if you agree or not but especially for a game that is 
27 to 13. It's a two score game um, at the end of the day. It was actually very, very entertaining to watch throughout. Um, I didn't find myself ignoring what was going on on the field as much as I thought that I would. There was a lot to to take in from some guys that are further down the Titans depth chart that had some pretty nice nights. Some guys that aren't that far down the Titans depth chart that had some rough nights. And then, you know, a guy in Josh Dobbs, who, again, we have an entire section of the show dedicated to him that we'll get to in a moment. But he was really the reason that this game was watchable at all, JT. And so I think that ultimately out coming out of this game, Titans fans should be really pleased with this outcome. You have ensured that you have the best possible draft pick if you were to lose the division in 10 days, if you go to Jacksonville and you lose and the AFC South belongs to the Jaguars this year, this loss ensures that you're going to have the best possible draft pick and likely a top 10 draft pick. If they end up going, what would it would be uh, seven and 10 on the year. And so you managed to do that and also get the best of both worlds in the sense that they didn't win the game, but JT, they managed to capture some momentum in this game. That was tangible. I was there in the stadium, in the locker room after the game, talking to these coaches and players, the momentum that they gained from this loss was, it, it was a, a tangible momentum that you you couldn't sense in this locker room or with this team, really in either any of the five weeks preceding this that they lost, right? It, it was a different look for a team that had been really, really struggling the past month and change. And so you capture that momentum going into the most important and only remaining important game of their regular season in Jacksonville. But you also get the loss and ensure yourself either a division title next week or a top 10 draft pick. Almost certainly the Titans came into this game. Um, I saw Ed Werder from ESPN who was in the press box with me. It was it was cool to see him and some other big names in the press box. Tim Kalashaw from uh, ESPN fame. If, if you have ever watched uh Pardon the not pardon the interruption, excuse me, around the horn. He's on around the horn quite a bit. He subs in on uh, pardon the interruption when, when one of those guys can't go. Um, Jane Slater, who's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal writer um, covering the Cowboys and the NFL at large. She's fantastic. Got to see her. Anyways, that's me, media guy, nerding out for a moment. Back to what Ed actually had to say. He came into this game tweeting that the Titans inactive list, he referred to it as an all star inactives list had 22 players on the active roster today. Excuse me, because of the Titans All-Star inactive list, the active roster had 22 players in this game that were elevated from the practice squad at some point or signed as a free agent off of the street at some point. That is 22 of 48 players in this game. That's 45.8% of the roster that was either picked up off the streets during the year or was brought up from the practice squad and doesn't belong on an NFL starting roster. That's insanity. I made a point at the beginning of the game to take note of just who was starting on either side of the ball for the defense. They were rolling with Demarcus Walker, who's a rotational guy, but he sees action in a regular game tier tart. Also a rotational guy, sometimes a starter Naquan Jones rotational. Hasn't seen a whole lot of, of real action. Rashad Weaver has been a starter but as a, a backup to uh, to to an injured Harold Landry from the very beginning of the season, Monty Rice is a backup. Jack Gibbons is a backup to a backup. Trey Avery is a backup who was kind of trending towards a potential starter, but had a rough game. We'll talk about that 
in a little bit. Roger McCreary, another starter that had a really, really rough game, in my opinion. Kevin Byard is a starter who had maybe his best game of the year. Fantastic game from Kevin. Andrew Adams has sort of been a rotational guy, maybe a starter. He had a really rough game and is now dealing with a season-ending injury. And Josh Kalou is a backup. On the offense, you had even less in terms of guys that you'd want to see on the field. You had Josh Dobbs at quarterback, a third or fourth string guy. Hassan Haskins at running back, a second or third string guy. Robert Woods at wide receiver, who's a starter, but we'll talk about him in a little bit. Nick Westbrook-Akine is a starter, but also eh. Chigakonkwo, great. Austin Hooper, great. Dennis Daly, Aaron Brewer at left guard, um, also kind of Corey Levin at center, Jordan Roos at right guard, and LaRaven Clark at right tackle, and that entire side of the line, Corey Levin, Jordan Roos, LaRaven Clark, gross, 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 gross. So the, the positives to draw from this game in general is that I think you saw a number of really nice performances from some guys that we haven't seen a whole lot of action from JT Hassan Haskins and Julius Chestnut both had some really promising plays in this game. Julius Chestnut, the nasty nut, as we refer to him in certain circles and the, the way that I think all people should refer to him because it's a fantastic nickname at a sacred heart university, baby rookie undrafted free agent. Had a very nice night. He had a 33-yard catch and run that was pretty electric. He was returning kicks and got out past the 25-yard line a handful of times. It was a good night for Julius Chestnut, and I think that he may have a future as a rotational running back in the league. And then Hassan Haskins had his best night running the ball for sure. That we, And again, we've not seen a ton of him this season, but from what we have seen, this was the best we've seen of him. He had one run that really stuck out, and it stuck out to Mike Vrabel, and he mentioned it in his post-game press conference. The run on fourth and two, and the Titans go for it. They're going for broke, fourth and a short two in their own uh, in enemy territory, rather, but not deep enemy territory. They go for it, and Haskins is met well be- behind the line of scrimmage and still powers through and falls forward to get the first down. A really nice physical run, and I know that it made an impression with this locker room and with his coaches. He had a really nice night. I think you also saw a really great game from Tier Tart. Got a recovered fumble, had a sack in there, got banged up a little bit, but finished the game out. Kevin Byard, phenomenal back there. He had two interceptions, really keeping the Titans in the game in the first half. Uh, he He's a guy that we, and I mentioned this on Twitter during the game, we've talked about how next season you're going to see some guys on this roster, really some guys that you expect to, and probably some guys that you don't expect to, no longer on this roster in 2023. And I don't think you can count Kevin Byard among them. That's a name that's been thrown around in that circle of guys that are veterans and may not be back next season. I, I don't get any impression from this team or from my eyeballs and seeing the way that he's been playing. He's had an up and down year for sure. And, and compared to last season, which was arguably the best season of his, of his career, it's been worse than that, but he's been, a very, very good safety for this team. He's been a very, very good leader. He's been, here's a big one for the Titans, extremely available. He's not missed time or been injured. He's everything that you want in a veteran leader on the defense. And I think that he's one of those guys that's for sure going to be kept around as a pillar of whatever the rebuilding situation for this team is in the next couple of years. I think that some other guys that stuck out to me in this game, Traylon Burks and Robert Woods both had pretty up and down games. Burks, really just some penalty issues and, and his inability for some reason 
he runs this in-breaking route that the Titans loved to run with A.J. Brown and were really successful with him in doing so. Whenever the ball is even remotely thrown behind him, which that's on the quarterback, you've got to lead the guy. But he's a talented receiver. He can make a, a catch if it hits him in both hands. Twice this year we've seen this, and I want to go back tomorrow and try to find this clip from it was much, much earlier in the season, a pass from Ryan Tannehill. Same thing, in-breaking route, a slant to the inside that is thrown just behind him, but not so far behind him that he can't get both hands on the ball. And he jumps up and tries to like body catch it with his knees a little bit. He, he It's a very unnecessary jump. It's not above his head. It's not high at all. It's right in his bread basket, but he jumps, I, I guess, kind of to slow his momentum maybe because the ball is behind him and he's, and he's trying to not outrun the ball. But both times he dropped the ball and, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that the jump is, if anything, hindering his ability to make that catch. He's got to make that catch. And and all of these guys have to make these catches. I mean, Josh Dobbs in his first start of his entire NFL career, the last thing he could afford tonight was drops from his receiving core. And the Titans receiving core did him no favors in that regard. You had three key drops from Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, and Austin Hooper. All three were balls that weren't perfectly on the money, but they hit them at, you know, between between the, the top and the bottom of the of the shoulder pads and it hit him in both hands. That's a that's an NFL catch, man. You got to make those catches. I, I don't know what to tell you. That's a bad look from a frankly bad receiving core. And, and from the handful of guys in this receiving core, I mean, Hooper and Burks are guys that you expect to be the the rare outlier as not a bad guy in this bad receiving core. But they were contributing to the very, very bad receiving core tonight at times. Robert Woods. He kind of redeemed himself in the back half of the game, had some big first down catches, had the the touchdown catch on third down. But early in the game, some big drops, some stupid mistakes, um, falling down when he gets open, uh, not converting a, another third down earlier in the game. He slips and falls and, and the pass sails over his head. We're going to talk a good bit about Robert Woods, I think, when the season is over and when we're talking about who should and shouldn't stay on this roster. And Robert Woods is not one of those guys, frankly, that can remain on this roster. I think that if you're power ranking the guys on this roster that are potentially on the chopping block because of their contract, because of their play, he's at the very top, if not near the very top of the list in terms of how confident you can be that he's not back. I'm very confident that he's not back. He's frankly just been kind of a bust of an acquisition for the Titans. He's a double digit millionaire. Um, they're, they're paying him upwards of $10 million to play receiver for them this year. And, you know, maybe it's the ACL recovery. Maybe it's, he's just getting old and he's lost it. Maybe it's the system and the fit. I don't know. But the point is he's not produced nearly to the level that they needed him to produce. And that's, that's, that's not going to be good enough. And despite their, dramatic lack of weapons in the receiving core i'd be very very surprised if he is back speaking guys that had rough outings austin hooper i need to pull up here in the uh the game log just how because it caught my eye when i was looking through the stats hooper six targets tonight just one catch for six yards rough night rough night for your boy austin hooper we finally jt mercifully get to end the every single week winners and losers winner category of Hooper and Okonkwo, Chig and Austin, that that's no longer in this game. 
Shig had an all right game. It looked like he may have been on his way to a really, really nice game because he had two touches in the first five offensive snaps for the Titans. Ended up with just three catches on four targets for 24 yards. They continue to criminally underutilize Chig. He was averaging eight yards per catch. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Get the ball to Chig more, 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 more. Double, double his usage every single week, and then, then you have hit an acceptable number. He needs to have between seven to ten targets in every single game. I don't know what they're doing, not giving him the ball more often. But Hooper rough outing, and then I want to turn our attention towards the defensive backfield. Now, this I definitely need to pull up because. There were three guys, Titans DBs, in this game who had particularly rough outings. And I want to talk about all three of them a little bit here and there. The first guy is Roger McCreary. Now, he didn't have a single play or a single drive that you can really point to as a rough, a rough series for him. But McCreary, just in general he's been a liability more often this season for the Titans backfield, I think, than he has been a strength. And when he's been a strength, he's shown some really positive things. He's shown flashes. He's shown the ability to hang as an NFL starting cornerback. I don't want to get it twisted. But especially in games like this, when he is the number one cornerback, he's kind of exposed. And whether it's his lack of length lack of ability to, you know, maybe have the the mental wherewithal of a, of a more veteran player to, to know the best position to be in or to just have the awareness to get his head turned back towards the ball or, or you know, the awareness of, of where safety help is on the field. There are a plethora of examples across the board when you watch Roger McCreary of late that that you can obviously tell with just the eye test, but especially if you go back into the film, it's tough, man. He he's had a tough time. I'm, let's see what his his stat line is here. I mean, he had three tackles and uh, and one pass defended. I'm curious to see what the advanced stats are when they come out tomorrow. When we look at how many times he was targeted and how many yards he gave up, because it was quite a few. And there were a couple of drives in particular that I can think of where a Kevin Byard interception or a fumble recovery kind of masked how. He was getting exposed up and down the field, and they were targeting him repeatedly. The next defensive back that had a rough evening, Trey Avery. Oh, boy. Not a good look for Trey Avery in this game. He had a drive that was a Cowboys touchdown in which you could pretty much exclusively assign him blame. The Titans had the Cowboys, I believe, still in Cowboy territory. On third down, Dak scrambles out of a collapsing pocket, just heaves it downfield for a clear and obvious pass interference attempt. Uh, and he got it because Trey Avery decided to put his arms around the waist of, I think it was Michael Gallup, but it may have been CeeDee Lamb, one of the Cowboys receivers down the field, put his arms around his waist, no awareness whatsoever of where the ball is or whether or not it was coming. Didn't get his head turned back towards the quarterback. Ended up giving up a fifth, I think a 51 yard pass interference call to put the Cowboys at or inside the 10 yard line. And then they immediately go right back at Trey Avery with a leaking out tight end who walks in for a very easy touchdown on the very next play. Avery's, Avery's responsibility, Avery's mistake. So there's seven points right there that are exclusively Trey Avery's fault. Have to be better than that. The, the third guy, and you have another drive that you can pretty much exclusively attribute to this one guy. It's Andrew Adams at safety. He had 
a bad night all around because, and I don't want to, you know, I don't mean to kick a guy while he's down. It was reported by, uh, well, so he, he went down on the last, I believe it was the last Dallas touchdown of the game. He was the guy in coverage that allowed what was granted a pretty fantastic pass from Dak to Dalton Schultz in the corner of the end zone. But he was the guy in coverage that got beat, couldn't hang with Dalton Schultz, uh, a tight end, somebody uh, you know, expect a safety to probably be ha- able to hang with in coverage. But nonetheless, he goes down, has a knee injury, is ruled out very quickly by the, the Titans training staff, which is never a great sign. And then I get a DM from Jordan Schultz uh, at Schultz underscore report on Twitter, um, who you, you may or may not know is one of the insiders covering the NFL nationally. He DM'd a number of us in the Titans press box that he was told via his sources uh, that Andrew Adams had suffered a torn patella tendon, I'm assuming. Um, So he's going to be done for the season. A tough scene for him on that drive before he allows the touchdown. There are two missed tackles where he was solo one-on-one in open space. He gets his hands on the guy. He doesn't you know, get juked out entirely and just misses, gets blown by. No, he gets his hands on the guy, gets his arms on the guy, and just gets shaken off rather easily. Both of those missed tackles were pretty important, pretty decisive moments. One in particular was a third and 10 conversion, I believe, or a third and long conversion. Not great. Not great for Andrew Adams. So those three guys, Trey Avery, Roger McCreary, Andrew Adams, all three, bad night. And those it's concerning because those are all guys that, you're likely to see as starters or rotational guys next week in Jacksonville and potentially going forward into 2023. And they were not good enough to be plus players as defenders tonight. They have to be better than that. They had a rough night. You know who else had a rough night tonight, JT? The refs. Holy ref show, man. I I, I just have to, this is, I'm not a, I'm not a blame the refs guy, um, but, but I, I always have despised Sean Hockley. He's the son of Ed Hockley, who, from people that have been watching the NFL from, you know, our, our parents' generation, JT. They talk about Ed Hockley kind of the same way that I talk about Sean Hockley. I don't think anybody is awfully fond of the Hockley family in zebra print on an NFL field. He's the worst official in the league for my money. He is abysmal. He thinks that every single game that he is a part of, he needs to co-star in. He thinks that people want to hear from him. They want to see him on the field and on their TVs. They want to hear him talking to his little microphone and point and do gestures and huddle up with his buddies and make plays and make calls on plays. He is way, 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 way too flag happy. Every single time I watch a hockey league game, I am, I am left wondering within 10 or 15 minutes of, of viewing it, man, who's this referee? Like who's the officiating crew here? They're calling everything. And it's always Sean Hockley. I know that a lot of people point to Jerome Boger as the worst guy in the NFL. And I think that he's a clear number two. He was my number one for a long time. But over the last two years, it's become Sean Hockley. He he is the worst. He's way too flag happy. He thinks he's the ish. He thinks he's way too important in these games. And that was no exception. In tonight's game, some of these calls were ridiculous. And they were only being called one way. The PIs that were called on the Titans, two or three of them that were brutal pass interference calls. I think that you had the one on Trey Avery that was the biggest of the night and set up that that Cowboys touchdown. And I think you had two on Roger McCreary, one of which was incredibly soft, incredibly soft. And then you had a play down the sideline of Traylon Burks that goes incomplete, but people were rightly very upset in the stadium because Burks was 
you know, hand fighting with the Cowboy defender down the field in a way that absolutely was on par, if not more egregious than the previous three pass interference calls that had gone against the Titans. And the refs swallow their whistle. Mike Vrabel is all up in arms. He's furious talking to the referees. Traylon Burks is, is beside himself. Everybody in the stadium that isn't in a Cowboys jersey realizes that this is ridiculous. Now, I tweeted out that I thought it was a good no P.I. call. But, and this is the important but, if it was up to me and I was wearing the, the pinstripes and was the referee in any NFL game, I would allow the boys to play football down the field. I like a little hand fighting. I think you should get physical or get out in terms of, of being a receiver or a defender one-on-one like that. And so I wouldn't have called PI on any of the four PI calls tonight. I would have all of them. I would have let them play. Um, But that's me, right? That's, that's the way that I would officiate the game. The way that these referees were officiating the game. It was ridiculous for them not to call that trail and Brooks pass interference. It was absolutely pass interference by their standards. There were also a couple of plays that were bad. And then we, we had a comment from Mike Vrabel in the post-game press conference room talking about how he thought that they were judgment calls and that it was bad judgment. He thought they were bad calls. It, it was the roughing the passer call. One of which the second of which was, I forget who it was called on, but Dak literally puts his arm around the, the Titans pass rusher as he, the, the pass rusher you'd assume is trying to not land on Dak because that's how you get pass interference calls, boys and girls. You tackled the quarterback, but then not pass interference, excuse me, roughing the passer. You tackle the quarterback and you put your body weight on them. You land on them. Defenders know to avoid doing that. And so it's awfully difficult to try to avoid to do that when the quarterback wraps their arm around your neck and pulls you down with them. And that's what Dak did. And he got the call. It was egregious and horrible. So that's my rant on the refs. We're not going to talk about them the rest of the show, but they were awful. And Ed Hockley should be launched directly into the sun. All right. Um, before we before we talk about Josh Dobbs, and there's quite a bit to discuss. He had a fantastic night. What next for Titans fans and this team? Mike Herndon, our buddy, tweeted this out, and I thought that this was uh, I was going to go through and do this myself, but I th- I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, he's he's rounded up all the important things for us here. Titans fans, this weekend, watching the rest of the NFL slate, you should be rooting for the Browns, the Panthers, the Saints, the Raiders, the Rams, and the Falcons to all win because that's going to improve the Titans' potential draft position in case they lose the division in losing to the Jaguars in Week 18. Next week, it's going to set up the Titans to either bring home their third straight AFC South title and get a home playoff game or they're probably going to get a top 10 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. So that's who you need to be rooting for this weekend. These are all teams that are above you currently in draft order. The Browns, the Panthers, Saints, Raiders, Rams, and the Falcons. All of those teams, any of those teams winning this weekend would be good news for the Titans. All right, let's let's talk about... Let's talk about, well, before we talk about Josh Dobbs in particular, I have, I have a clip from him talking about this team after this game. And, and we, we asked him about, you know, a, a, an important element to this game was trying to find some positive momentum to go into the most important game of the year with. And we asked, even in a loss like this, even in a locker room with a team who's lost six games in a row, hasn't won in a month and a half, What's the vibe? Is there a level of panic? Is there any amount of positive that is being taken from this game? Uh, Does he sense his fellow teammates 
taking some some um not courage but you know taking taking some heart in the fact that this game was more lively from the titans point of view than than any titans game has in recent weeks here's what he had to say and i thought this was a a really nice answer jt let's play uh the the locker room vibe video please every single person in the locker room understands that we go out and play a good game we play how we don't play football we don't hurt ourselves we go out and play good clean football in jacksonville next sunday whenever the game is and we come out with a win then we're in the playoffs and we're, and we're rolling from there so we control our own destiny guys understand that um obviously every time you step on the field you expect to win and you want to win so it's tough um, and that you don't get the job done. Uh, so now we'll go through our process, we'll review the film, review the tape, we have a longer week for preparation for the Jacksonville game, and we control our own destiny. We go out there, we play football when we can, and we're in the playoffs, and AFC South champs. Clearly it sounds like from a guy that's only been in this locker room for eight days, this is a group of guys that still very much expect to win the division. They still understand and appreciate the fact that they control their own destiny and they're not concerned. They're ready for this challenge. And I think that that is a, a sentiment that is reflected by Mike Vrabel. He said after the game that he was excited and with a smile on his face, he was excited, excited to get to work these next 10 days game plan for the Jaguars. And let's be real guys. They've been game planning for the Jaguars. I mean, they, how much time and effort did they put into this Cowboys game? They've been prepping Jags since uh, last Sunday. So they're going to have, two full weeks of prep going into this game and granted the Jags will as well. I'm sure they weren't spending a lot of time on Houston in the game. That doesn't matter to them. They're going to be focused on the Titans, but I like Mike Vrabel on 14 days of preparation, especially when fingers crossed, he's getting back an army. I mean, next week for the Titans may be like the, the final battle scene in Avengers Endgame where everybody's coming into the portals. You've got, Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons and Derek Henry and some offensive linemen, maybe like the, the amount of reinforcements, especially on defense that this team is going to get could be dramatic, but we'll see that's Titans fans should keep their fingers crossed. All right, let's talk about Josh Dobbs, Josh Dobbs in the words of a wise man, Shaquille O'Neal. I owe you an apology. I wasn't really familiar with your game. Uh, just take this from the top, JT. Uh, before, well, do you have any mea culpas for for Josh Dobbs, or do you want to maybe get into this a little bit and then you can give your piece on him? I mean, it, I, I'm not going to go as far as you. I, I will, I will share my piece in that. Yes, was it probably the right decision to start Josh Dobbs? Probably. Bleak Willis in this game. Definitely. Probably yes. Am I going to go down this absolute Vols college football sicko rant of how Josh Dobbs is the greatest quarterback to ever live and that everybody should not have their doubts about him anymore? No, I'm not going to do that. Josh Dobbs is him, man. He's the future of the Tennessee Titans franchise. I can't believe that. I I think (laughs) he probably gives them the best chance out of anyone next week to at least manage this game against the Jags and at least put a product out there that is going to help this team win but it's competitive right that's it's going to be a competitive quarterback option for them so so let's backtrack and let's take this from the top the titans moved Tannehill to ir we're going to talk about that in the news but that made this situation very clear we talked on if you caught what was it wednesday's episode jt wednesday afternoon's episode we were talking about all of the different pandora's box options that this quarterback situation this three-headed monster 
of Dobbs and Willis and Tannehill looking towards week 18, all the different things that, that it could mean for this team. Tannehill to IR cleared things up significantly. It essentially left us with two options, right? Either they were wrenching, either they were resting Malik Willis in this game to protect him from injury so that he can be ready to start in week 18, or they were playing Dobbs to see if Dobbs would be a better option than Willis for the Titans in week 18. And I don't know how you could have come into this game looking at the track record of, of Willis this season, looking at the comments from coaches and players, how you could think that this wasn't a Josh Dobbs dress rehearsal slash tryout to potentially be the starter in week 18. And then after watching him play in that game, it's clear that he's going to be the guy in week 18. Now it was tweeted before the game by Jeremy Fowler over at ESPN. He's a reliable source. And and he said that his understanding of the Titans quarterback outlook for the rest of the year was that the team figured it doesn't hurt to get a look at what Josh Dobbs could be in a game that doesn't hurt them in the standings. They said to Jeremy Fowler, I lost my spot here. They said to Jeremy Fowler that barring an eye-opening performance from Josh Dobbs, Malik Willis will most likely start against the Jaguars. Now, I think this was PR spin. I think that his source was sent by the Titans very intentionally to get that word out. You didn't see an eye-opening performance from Dobbs necessarily. But you saw a performance that was clearly and obviously the performance of a guy that you're going to use in week 18 and and not Malik Willis and significantly better than Malik Willis. So I think that that was a a source that was very intentionally sent Jeremy Fowler's way. I will say that my immediate reaction when, when we got this news and when the idea that Josh Dobbs may very well be the Titans starter in week 18, I was immediately, immediately reminded of a terrible waste of my time four years ago, JT, on the last game of the year, flexed into prime time, into Sunday night football, the last regular season of the game of regular season game of the year on NBC. The same thing that I think is going to happen with Titans Jags this upcoming week. You had the Blaine Gabbert show taken on Andrew Luck in Nissan Stadium. I was there. It was an AFC showdown. Marcus Mariota with nerve damage in his elbow couldn't go at the last minute and so we got the Blaine train it was a nightmare the final game of the 2018 regular season and the winner got a playoff spot time is a flat circle we're right back there because we've got Josh Dobbs versus Trevor Lawrence AFC South showdown I expect it to be the final game of the 2022 regular season and the winner gets not just the playoff spot but the AFC South division title they're the same. They're the same. Pam in the office. They're the same picture. They're the same picture. It's it's the exact same thing. I, I want to play a video, two videos actually, trying to chronicle the timeline here. We asked both Coach Mike Vrabel and Josh Dobbs about when they knew that they'd be going with Dobbs in this game. Let's start with the video from Mike Vrabel. We asked him when he decided to start Josh Dobbs, and here's what he had to say. Played a little bit of both last week, just kind of seeing. You know, really, it was, a, it was a great opportunity to evaluate Josh, and you know, then we'll make a decision going forward. I thought he did some good things. I thought he certainly. Yeah. So, so to clarify, the question was: Was the move to play Josh Dobbs more of a let's see what Josh Dobbs can do, or a we might think Josh Dobbs could be better than Malik? 
Uh, and he basically said, yeah, it was a little bit of both wanting to rest Malik, but also wanting to see if Dobbs maybe could be a better option than Malik in week 18. And that's what happened. He didn't say explicitly when they made that decision, but Josh Dobbs and his availability to us put a little bit more of a timestamp on when he found out when we asked him about when he knew he'd be the starter. Here's what he had to say. Last game, uh, it was Christmas Eve and I was actually driving home and uh, Pat called and said, hey, come, can you come in tomorrow? Um, just to be prepared to play, we just want to go through the game plan. Uh, we're trying to figure out which way we're going to go, but if you're playing, I just want you to see your stuff as soon as possible. So um, drove home, spent Christmas morning at home and then turned around around noon, uh, drove back up, uh, had a car finally, so drove back up and then we started driving to the game plan and then the next day they said, hey, Probably going to start you, so you're going to take all the reps throughout practice, and um, that's where we went. Hey, Josh, how, how big a challenge to, to start a game after just being here eight days, and how in your mind you think you did? Yeah, you know, I think um, it's a unique situation, um, and it's a wonderful opportunity um, that, I, that I really embraced and had a lot of fun with. Um, so there's obviously things that I know that I can do better and be better, especially situationally, um, looking back through the game. and. We'll dive into that because I know we had a big one coming up. But, um, you know, I thought through the preparation and the guys, just how we fought throughout the game, it was great to see. Um, I mean, shoot, we're throwing routes out there on the field that we haven't even thrown in practice with it being a short week. So just being able to make those plays, uh, make critical plays throughout the game will propel us into this upcoming week where we actually have a full week to prepare for the game. Yeah, so that's Titans QB coach Pat O'Hara who is talking about calling him on Christmas Eve right after the game because the Titans played the Houston Texans on Christmas Eve saying, Hey, we uh, might want you back here at the facility. Haven't made up our mind as to who we're going with at quarterback, but in case it's you, we want you to get your eyes on this game plan. And uh, from there, I think that it's pretty clear this, this coaching staff immediately after watching the league play against the Texans, we're thinking, man, this Josh Dobbs guy has only been in the system for 10 seconds, but he might be a better option and we may want to see what he's got in this week 18 or week 17 game against the Cowboys. That doesn't really matter to us either way. It is also interesting to me, JT, we saw Baker Mayfield go into LA and play for the Rams on short notice, play pretty well. But then after he got a full week under his belt, the following week it looked pretty good. I mean, he's now hanging 51 points on teams with the best defense in the league. So anything is possible. I think that this can go one of two directions, right? And we've seen it go both ways. Sometimes you see a guy coming in, come in who's been a backup in the league. They play a game or two, get some tape on them. The NFL gets some tape on them and then opposing defenses figure them out, maybe figure out what to force them into to make them weaker, force them into that they're less comfortable with. And we could see that with Josh Dobbs. We could see a, uh, a, return back to earth a return back to reality once teams have some film on him although i don't know if one game of film is going to be enough for the jaguars to try to exploit those things you've also seen certain guys like baker mayfield who uh, josh dobbs also a veteran in the league not nearly the veteran baker is but he's been around the block and you sometimes see those guys when they come in on short notice like this when they get a full week under their belt because again josh dobbs came in midweek two weeks ago was in the system for two or three days before the texans game and then this week was the starter we don't know when he was decided upon as the starter during the week in practice but even if it was the very beginning of the practice week it's still a short week 
So now he's going to get an extended rest week, a 10-day week, where they get to go in after a weekend of rest on Monday or on Sunday or whenever, and they can game plan all the way through and then play their game on Sunday, probably Sunday night. That could be a significant boost to a guy who, again, has not had a full week of prep under his belt for this team. You could see a big step forward in terms of his understanding of the scheme, understanding of the playbook, maybe some meshing with guys in terms of you know chemistry with his receivers. Everything's on the table, and I think that that makes this Week 18 game with Josh Dobbs really, really fascinating. A point that I want to bring up, and I brought this up during the game on Twitter, you know, we're naturally comparing Josh Dobbs during the game to Malik Willis. And at the, I believe, two-minute mark, uh, the two-minute warning in the first half, he was already seven for 13 for 110 yards passing, which is more yards than Malik Willis had in any of his three starts this season. I just tweeted that's kind of a tough scene for the rookie. And a number of people, I have a gripe with some of you on Twitter. This is ridiculous. And I'm going to call out, a guy, uh, it's not just him, but I'm going to call him out because I know that we're cool. At Bonafide Bro, who, who again, we're cool, we're friends, but this is a this is a bad one from him, and, and there were a number of people that were like this. But he he replied to the tweet basically saying, that, like, are y'all really going to do this? Why why are y'all all tweeting this out from the press box? Like, why are you why are you doing this to Malik? First of all, we're not doing anything. We're we're reporting facts, whether they reflect what we thought beforehand or not, it's my job to report facts on the ground as they are and not selectively to fit my narrative. I asked him, do you think that this is a good look? And he said, no, I'm saying that I'm, he said that I'm cherry picking stats to fit my agenda. Now, I don't know what kind of agenda I could have against Malik Willis. I mean, my agenda before this JT, unless I've gone crazy, my agenda was Josh Dobbs sucks and Malik Willis is the better option. So if I'm reinforcing my agenda by pointing out, hey, Josh Dobbs has already got a better stat line in this game before halftime than Malik Willis has had at all this season. Oh, and he's doing it with the worst supporting cast than Malik Willis ever did. That's me doing a very bad job of reinforcing my narrative because that is the opposite of what I had been saying for two weeks. This is ridiculous that people, I mean, Mike Herndon tweeted this out, that we've officially entered the Mariota zone, trademarked, by the way where nothing can possibly be Malik Willis's fault. And and there's a segment of the fan base that thinks this wholeheartedly now. They're so in on desperately, in their hearts, wanting so badly for Malik, Malik Willis to turn out as an NFL starter, to be the future of this franchise, to save them from what they see as impending doom on the horizon for this Titans franchise. Guys, you can't think this way about an NFL player, let alone a quarterback. The idea that, they can do no wrong when they do something great. It's on them. When they do something wrong, it's on their supporting cast or the coaches or the defense making a good play or just unluckiness. No, man, no, that's not how it works. I'm old enough to remember when Arthur Smith was apparently, according to the same fan base, bringing out the good playbook for Ryan Tannehill and putting away the bad playbook that he was using with Marcus Mariota at the beginning of the year in 2019. No, man, just turns out Marcus is not a good quarterback. Ryan Tannehill is, and he, he takes you to the AFC championship game in that same year coming in four or five games into the season. So like, this is a thing that the Titans fan base has done quite a bit in the past, the conspiratorial nonsense. It's ridiculous. Um, we, we got to speak to Kevin Byard about 
Dobbs's performance in this game after the game. And here's what Kevin had to say on Josh Dobbs's day and, and pay attention to the very end. He mentions his, he mentions his expectations for whether we'll see Dobbs in week 18. I mean, I think he did a really good job of just, you know, coach always talk about the operation. Um, I think Todd did some good things, you know, kind of moving him outside the pocket, doing some things like that. He made some really good throws. Um, obviously, he's only been here for like a week or two, but I definitely think, you know, as long as he continues to progress, um, I'm sure we'll see him next week for sure. Uh, you can hear Josh Kalu, safety in the background, yelling, Mayor, Mayor Murfreesboro right there. He was trying to, I guess he was trying to ask a question. He was trying to get Kevin's attention. Kevin was not going for it. Bonafide pro. But there were a lot of things that I think, and, and by the way, there at the end, Kevin mentions he, he maybe he lets the rat out of the bag. Uh, Dobbs and Brable both couldn't commit to him being the starter next week, but Kevin's like, yeah, man, I expect him to play next week. So he's going to play next week. There were a number of things in the Josh Dobbs Titans offense that were working really well. You had racing McMath shots down the field. That was a very nice throw and catch something that I'd been wanting to see all season. I hyped up this potential for the Titans offense in racing McMath in the preseason and in training camp, because we saw him do that exact same thing you saw tonight all through camp. And then the injuries kept him off the field. Big bummer there. You saw Traylon and Chig get yards after the catch opportunities. Love that ton of play action and rolling Dobbs out of the pocket, some bootleg stuff, moving him and having him pass on the move something he did really well and something that people were mad about because it was something they wanted to see with Malik a lot, moving the pocket when you got a mobile quarterback and a bad offensive line, usually a recipe for success. Not when a quarterback can't throw on the run. And we saw this was a thing that Malik didn't look very well equipped to do in the preseason. There was a very famous clip that I put out and I know that tens of thousands of people saw it. Malik's ability to throw moving to his left in particular, not great, man, not great. It's not a strong suit of his right now in his career. So again, a lot of this is as much an indictment on Malik Willis and where he's at right now as a rookie with plenty of room to grow still, but still very raw. It's as much an indictment on him as it is a re you know positive reflection of Josh Dobbs being great. In reality, this is just the lesser of two evils. They're both backups in the league. Josh Dobbs is not in fact, the future of the Tennessee Titans franchise, and he's not going to be a guy that is your savior. He is, however, a significantly better backup quarterback than Millie Quillis right now, and he's a guy that does give them a chance if they get back some key guys at positions where there's injuries. He gives them a very real puncher's chance of winning the division in Week 18 in Jacksonville. You saw, and this was, this was an important note to me just before we move on to the last video we've got, Last two videos we've got James Foster, friend of the show, obviously going to have him on again soon. Hopefully he tweeted out that, you know, just as a reminder to everybody, coaches, they call plays that they know based on practice reps that their players can execute. So when you're seeing two guys that play the same position, get certain play calls that the other guy doesn't get, or, you know, maybe some packages opened up for a guy that the other guy is not necessarily getting. That's not always a reflection on the coaching staff being dumb at their job, man. That's usually a reflection of the coaching staff knowing, yeah, we can't run that play with that guy, but we can run it with this guy. So it's reasonable to assume that a lot of the things you saw Josh Dobbs do tonight that you wished you'd, you'd seen from Malik Willis in his three starts this year, 
They weren't not doing those things just to tick you off. They were doing it because they didn't trust Malik to do it. They didn't trust him to do it based on his inability to do it in practice. Every single day they see him try and they see him not do it well, clearly because they don't have him do it. When they see Josh Dobbs do it well in practice, they let Josh Dobbs do it in the game. Crazy how that works. There are concerns with Josh Dobbs. I don't mean to hype him up as the savior, the prince that was promised. That's still Chigakonkwo. Don't worry. Josh, I asked after the game about what his personal to-do list would be this week. He hasn't had an opportunity to watch the tape yet, and I, I, I mentioned that qualifier to him. But I say, just based on how you felt the game went for you and your first start in your NFL career, what would you say is on your short list of things to try to clean up for yourself this week? And here's what he had to say. Throughout the game, you know, we you know, I fumbled the ball, put the ball on the ground in the red zone when we have points. Um, and you just can't do that. You know, that's an opportunity where either get the ball out, uh, take a good clean sack, kick the field goal, get points. Then it's an even tighter game, you know, going into the fourth quarter. Um, so little things like that, you know, I took a sack on, on a keeper in the, in the second quarter, throw the ball away. So there's little things situationally that I'm already I'm aware of that I know I can get better. Of course, that comes with, you know, reps and being out there. Um, and getting hit for the first time in a while. So um, I'm not too worried about those. I know I'll clean them up. Um, I'll be excited to dive into the tape with the coaches and continue to grow and improve as quickly as possible and give the team the best chance that we have to win. So his ball security is a real concern, and I don't want to gloss over that. He lost the ball three times in this game, two fumbles and, and one interception. One of the fumbles was recovered by the Titans, but nonetheless, ball security is a problem. Ultimately, though, there is no question in my mind. It's a no-brainer that he is your guy for Week 18. Anyone with a brain who's a fan knows that, as long as you're not high on Malik um, or, or, I guess, blind, blinded by Malik. Anyone in the coaching staff knows that, in the front office knows that, in the locker room knows that. He's the guy. He's going to start in Week 18. We asked Mike Vrabel whether or not, Josh Dobbs will be the starter in week 18 and shocker. He didn't want to answer. Here's what he had to say about Josh's potential to start in week 18 over Malik Willis. It, uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're excited about having Malik. We are we're excited about the things that he's doing and, mm. and we'll continue to you know, just, just digest this over a weekend and kind of make a decision. Malik has, has worked hard, but then we just have to kind of yeah, Mike, I don't I don't really believe you necessarily that you're excited to have Malik. I we'll talk about this more at a later date, probably in the offseason. I'm not sure that Mike Vrabel is a big Malik Willis guy. Talked about this a little bit with Mike Herndon yesterday on the Mike or two days ago on the no, yes. No, two days ago. It's it's almost two o'clock in the morning. I'm losing track. <laughs> um about whether or not we thought Mike Rabel was a big, uh, big uh, Malik Willis guy. And our answer was a resounding, eh, probably not. I don't think that it's a great fit, but yeah, so it's, it's going to be Dobbs. They're not going to announce it yet, but that's the way that it's going to be. And that's the way that we're going to be ending my recap of this game. Let's get into some Titans news, JT. Uh, before we do that real quick, as a reminder, if you are a potential advertiser in the Middle Tennessee area or in the Tennessee area or wherever, if you have a business or an employee of business that you think would be a great fit on the show, we are looking for advertising partners for relatively affordable for many of you companies out there to advertise on the show. Get your product talked about and in front of the eyeballs and ears of thousands of people and tens to hundreds of thousands of people on our social media. We would love to talk to you and 
just consider a partnership. We're going to be doing a lot of this in the spring. If you are interested or maybe interested, reach out to us via email. You can find it on broadwaysportsmedia.com. You can find our emails there. Or just shoot us a DM on Twitter. Reach out. Would love to hear from you. All right, JT, let's get in some tight. Let's get into some Titans news. Let's start off this segment here with talking about a couple of the guys that they elevated to the actual roster today with offensive lineman Zach Johnson, defensive lineman Jaden Peavy as standard elevations, and Josh Dobbs set to start this game tonight. The Titans actually used their 83rd, 84th, and 85th player of the season, which is just absolutely insane. They are, I mean, they're not going to reach it, but they are sneaking up on their self-set last year, 2021, 93 total players used in a season. They're going to end up with in the mid to high 80s, but it's it's astonishing that they got back even close to their record that they set last year. League record, by the way, NFL record. Um, It's a further reflection of just how bad this injury situation has been for a team that I believe during the broadcast, by the way, Amazon mentioned the Titans lead the NFL in the last two years for a number of guys placed on IR. So not great. Three more guys that were placed on IR earlier today, of course, was Ryan Tannehill, quarterback. So any hope that he comes back for this week 18 game or the playoffs, he was not. His season is done. JT, he's coming back for, he can be back legally for the AFC championship. Oh, can he? Oh, perfect. Yeah. Don't worry. we'll, we'll, We'll wait for him in his return on his steed up top on the hill with the sun behind him waiting uh-huh. to save the day glorious on the AFC fairy, book, fairy tale two other people ending, yeah. who are not going to be there for that afc championship down the road of course is bud dupree and zach cunningham who both were put on ir and if you want to go a step further and read through some of the tea leaves on that transaction here it it probably looks almost as good as certain that these two players that was the final uh, goodbye and well wishes from the Titans here. It, it, it would be a shock to see either, either Dupree or Cunningham back with the team next year. No, completely agree. They're both gone. They, they, uh, Cunningham, I think, was a nice move last year. Uh, midseason pickup on the waivers by a team that was all in for a Super Bowl, and he produced for them in a big way. Hasn't produced this year, and that's why it's time for them to move off of him. Dupree, we'll talk more about in the future. Um, he ultimately, his injuries kept him from being even close to the player that they paid for and that they signed up for when John Robinson went and got him in free agency. And he's one of the big pieces of John Robinson's tenure that reflects negatively on him. And I think ultimately led to his demise. Yeah. And then one final segment here on this new section, because what else do we have to talk about? We just talked about this game for 50 minutes. What do you mean? What else? This is the most important thing on the docket, baby. The one guy who will be sticking around for the foreseeable future on this team, knock on wood, uh, Ryan Stonehouse is still good, ladies and gentlemen, just if you needed to know. He's fantastic. He had a little bit of a down game today, despite uh, where he was punting the ball. He only had about a 47.8 average today on his five punts, but that keeps his season average at 53.4 which is well over the NFL record. So assuming it shatters the NFL record. Assuming, assuming he doesn't kick like six behind him next week, I feel yes. like he's going to be a shoe in to break this record. 
JT, and it's not just any record. It's a record set by Sammy Baugh. And if you've heard that name, it's probably on one of the old NFL films classic reels that you watched <laughs> as a kid because Sammy Baugh played in the 40s. In the 40s, back when football wasn't even really football. This is a record that was set by Sammy Baugh punting in 1940. It's a crazy quick math. 82-year-old record. It's the last I checked. I think it's the third or fourth oldest record in the entire NFL record book. And he's not just going to break it. He's going to shatter this record that's that's held strong for almost 100 years. That's amazing. It's not reflected in his Pro Bowl. Um, no, bid I was about to say, what's which more insane, that record and, or him not being the starter? Well, it's not insane for the Pro Bowl if you're if you're you know not stuck in the past and realize that the Pro Bowl is a joke. Um, it's a joke. Fair. And if, if you needed further proof, here's your He's proof. He's going to light up the Titans flag fan. football field, though. That's for sure. When he yeah, gets yeah, that yeah, inev- inevitable start anymore. Yeah, I hope that they I hope that he gets in as an alternate and they have a punting distance competition and he just slaughters everybody because that'd be <laughs> phenomenal to watch. Um, but yeah, it's going to that'll be reflected accurately. His his value as a punter in the league and just the fantastic year he's had. That will be reflected, I'm almost certain, in the All-Pro votes. Um, I am one of said All-Pro voters this year, and I'll be voting for, I won't say who, but I'll let you guess. Um, I think that's <laughs> going to be a pretty easy one for people that are actually paid to you know, pay attention to the NFL and know these things to realize that, yeah, Stonehouse is a first ballot uh, pro, not pro bowler. He's a, he's a, a first team All-Pro this year by a landslide. He's been fantastic. And that's all we got today on this new segment. All right, let's get into our last segment of the day, which is the best bet gauntlet. But real quick before we do that, JT, if you are not already subscribed to the show, what are you doing? Why are you listening to the show a la carte like this, picking and choosing your podcasts? Just subscribe wherever you get your good podcasts, Spotify, Apple, on YouTube. If you like to watch the video version, and we highly recommend that you do, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. I'm going to give you guys a prompt, just a prompt for your review, because, you know, it always helps to have some direction. Here's the direction. I want to I want to hear in your review that you leave us your favorite element of this show, because I'm curious, what what is the one thing about this show that you're like? I always tune in for that. I love the best bet gauntlet. I love winners and losers. I I love I love uh, no flags film coming on for for Jack foster fry jack foster jack, jack foster. foster that's another that's a guy who covers the the vols on twitter that i follow that's not <laughs> who i mean james foster fridays whatever your favorite part of the show is let us know and then let us know your least favorite part of the show the thing that like if you could just control this show from a, an editorial standpoint and you could just turn one thing off forever what would it be so leave us your favorite and least favorite part of the show in your reply, we'll read it on air. It'll be very, very helpful to us to get those just from an information standpoint, but also having those on the show on Apple or on Spotify, very helpful for us to sell the show and the algorithm and all that good stuff. We very much appreciate you doing that and leave us your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle or whatever you want. Uh, We will shout you out by name. We'll follow you. We'll tell all of our hundreds of listeners to follow you. So it's a win-win here. It's a win-win. Let us know what you hate, what you love. Looking forward to reading those. All right, JT, it's time for the Best Bet Gauntlet, my favorite segment of the week, because it's the last segment of the week, and we're here to make some money. Just to recap, you had a forgettable week last week. Forgettable week. Uh, Actually, I wouldn't say forgettable. I'd say another F word, frustrating. Frustrating. It was very frustrating. There was a couple of 
uh, bad beat. games here, the bad beats, I would say, uh, that got lost in the witching hour that just kind of made me bash mm. my head against the table. But I digress. Oh. I did go one and four last week. Easton, you had a respectable three and two week. It's been my my go-to all years. Twos and threes and threes and twos, baby. (laughs) If you're looking at the records right now, Easton, still in a commanding lead here at 42, 34, and 4. And I, once again, with an abysmal week, fall just one game back of 500 at 37, 38, and 5. And I'm guessing if people are doing their homework right now and leaving that review, they're probably getting rid of my section of the best bet gauntlet yeah, until I can not pick games anymore. Until please. I can get back into the green here, but I digress. <laughs> hey, you got two weeks left. We're rooting for you. You're going to be, we we're going to be in the money as a show. I know that we are. I think we are because I came to play this week. That's what you were telling me. I'm, I'm excited. In the morning. I'm excited to talk about my best five picks here. And I get the first pick. You do. So week. take, take the floor, please. So without further, ado my first pick of the week it's going to be selling on the minnesota vikings as everybody and their mother should this week i am taking the packers at home minus three and a half against the minnesota vikings and really this pick comes down to how dominant the packers have been in the month of december the packers have won 14 consecutive games in december tying the second longest streak in nfl history not only that but aaron Rodgers is 52 and 31 against the spread versus nfc north opponents in his career including 14 and 8 since 2019 Rodgers is also 27 and 4 straight up and 21 in 10 against the spread at home in December or later in the regular season. If you didn't listen to all those stats, all you have to know is that Aaron Rodgers is very good at home <laughs> and against his rivals in December. And once again, it's one other game this season where a team well over 80% mark is actually an underdog. Last time it happened was against the Lions, and the Lions absolutely schooled this team. I'm not buying into the Minnesota hype. I don't know how many people are, but I'm going to take the Packers here, minus three and a half. Love that. I would have taken it if you hadn't. My next pick, and I love this one this week, uh, my first pick, that is, of the week 17 best bet gauntlet. I'm taking the Jets, minus two. They are giving two on the road at Seattle. This is, for a number of reasons, my favorite pick of the week. One, the Jets are getting back Mike White. Mike White, no more Zach Wilson. Good riddance. Be gone forever, please. I'm, I'm begging you to. And another interesting tidbit here is that when you look at road teams traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast, they've performed really well in recent years. Since 2016, they've gone 63, 43, and 5 against the spread. That's nearly 60%. And that's what the Jets will be doing, travel to play Seattle in this game. I think that the Jets are just a better team top to bottom than Seattle. Seattle's defense continues to be a rainbow road for opposing quarterbacks. And again, I like the Jets fighting for their playoff lives here. Big theme in the back half, back month of the season. This is a team that is desperate, desperate, desperate to get into the playoffs. They have a tougher road than Seattle does, I believe. And so I think that they're going to uh, ultimately win this game on on the arm of Mike White, who again should be a breath of fresh air for this offense after what we saw from them last season. I like that pick and I'm kind of mad that you took that one. So I got to pivot here to my second pick on the board and it's going to be, I'm going to go with the Steelers plus two and a half going on the road in prime time to Baltimore. 
I like this. I, I really think this is a spot here where Mike Tomlin is going to shine. Tomlin is 11-5-1 against the spread on extended rest since 2018, which is what they're coming off of after playing a Saturday game. He is also, by the way, on that stat, the most profitable coach in the NFL. And the Ravens, since 2017, at home, have been absolutely horrid against the spread. They're 22-28 and 28 since 2017, and just this season, they're 2-5. and five. And if you want to look at just this matchup here, the Ravens versus the Steelers, it's really a 50-50 coin flip when it comes to who you want against the spread. Over the last 20 years, the Ravens are 20-19-3 against the spread versus Steelers. And I'm looking at this game as one where it looks more and more likely that Tyler Huntley is going to still be the quarterback of this Baltimore Ravens team, who, by the way, they threw their first touchdown to a receiver since what, like week three or something like that. They yeah, cannot, yeah. they're looking more and more like the Denver Broncos offense in that they can't score over 17 points in a game. And I'm but looking to Mike offense. Tomlin who really doesn't want to lose and become never had a losing season. That's what I was going to say. Never yeah. going to have a losing season here. He wants to stay off that record and keep it clean. So give me the Steelers to play a little bit of spoiler here and keep their playoff hopes alive. I like that one a lot. My next bet, my second pick of the week 17 best bet gauntlet. I'm taking the Saints getting six and a half points on the road at Philadelphia. A couple of reasons here. First, the, the number we keep coming back to, JT. Teams that have really, really, really positive records. Teams that are, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 game winners in December tend to perform really, really poorly against the spread. That's statistically backed up by like 30 or 40 years of data. The Eagles, by the way, sneaky on a two game against the spread losing streak. Uh, they are still going to be rolling with Garner Minshew, it sounds like. And the Saints are just a team that I think is built to play pretty good spoiler to this Eagles team. They've got some banged up guys, the Eagles do. They, they, I know that Miles Sanders was on the injury report. That'd be a, a significant hit for them. The Saints are healthy, and I think that they've actually quietly kind of found their stride. The past two weeks, they've gotten back-to-back -back wins. Um, and I think that they're going to be ready to, to face off against a team that, again, they're probably not going to beat. But I would be surprised if this game ended over a touchdown just because of the state of the Eagles, the fact that Hurts is not going to be in the game. And statistically, this is a game that the Saints in December against an Eagles team with this record cover at an astronomical rate. I like that pick, especially considering how dominant the Saints defense has become over the past month or so. Hey, this My is crazy, by the way. Sorry, sorry. I just I just found this, and this is this is fascinating. On the Action Network app, you know, you can see the number of bets placed versus the amount of money mm -hmm. bet on a, on a side. The percent of bets, just total bets, ignoring the amount of money involved. 63% of them are on the Eagles. Only 37% of the bets are on the Saints. However, the amount of money, 91% of the money is on the Saints. That's a 54% difference between the bet percentage and the money. That indicates the big money, the sharp money, is on the Saints this week. So I love this pick even more. With my third pick, and one that I think all of you Titans fans can get along with here, is going to be the Houston Texans at home getting four against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's go Texans, baby! And this one might Win sound... your way out of the first overall pick. Sorry. <laughs> right? 
it, this one might sound crazy, but it's not going to sound as crazy as you think once I tell you a couple stats here. The Texans have defeated the Jaguars in nine consecutive games straight up, dating back to 2018. Wait, seriously? And, yes, they have been absolutely dominant against They're the Jaguars. They're 9-0 Jack- in their last nine against the Jaguars? Yes. Since 2014, the Texans are 15-2 and two straight up against the I ha- Jaguars. I covered the AFC South, and I had no idea it was that bad. That's amazing. Davis Mills, he's also very good against the Jaguars. He's 2-0 straight up and against the spread versus the Jaguars. And 2-19-1 straight up versus all of their teams. So he just absolutely has a vendetta against the Jacksonville Jaguars. What did the Jaguars do to David Come up. That's crazy. He he just, like, comes up and is that dog and balls out against the Jaguars. Also, Davis Mills is him when he's playing. Once again, it is just a home division dog here, which are 61 and 44 against the spread since 2020. And they're 16 and 10 against the spread this season. So give me Davis Mills to continue to dominate the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, I liked that pick. Now I love that pick. With my third pick in the Week 17 Best Bet Gauntlet, give me Washington minus two and a half against the Browns. This is another pick just based on. This is a team that's fighting for their playoff lives in Washington. They have to win out or else Green Bay or potentially Detroit is going to steal or potentially Seattle is going to steal their wild card spot. You got Cowboy Commander Carson back in the saddle, baby. Carson Wentz is back. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they (laughs) seem pretty confident in moving to him against the Browns team that has been pretty lackluster on defense lately, pretty disappointing on defense lately. I think that Deshaun Watson's continuing to suck, and I don't see any, you know, trending the right direction for him. I think that he's actually going to be the worst of the two quarterbacks in this game, which is hilarious to me. I like Washington to just win by a field goal in this game. Uh, at home against the Browns. So give me Washington minus two and a half. I like the hook. With my fourth pick here in the best bet gauntlet for week 17, give me now the Nathan Hackettless Denver Broncos here getting 12 and a half points going to Kansas City. And this is just uh, two things on this game really and why I like it so much. One, I love the bump that teams get when they make a coaching change. I think especially with this one and everything that was just the pressure surrounding this team over the past couple of weeks, I think alleviating some of that by getting rid of Hackett and just having a lot of guys interim that can just focus on their jobs and execute accordingly and not have to worry about that. I think it's going to give this team an offensive and a defensive buff here in this game. Also, Mahomes in the Chiefs just performed better against the spread away from home. At home, they're 22-23-1 against the spread, which they are this week. And when he's on the road, he's 24-18-1. So massively better on the road. Unfortunately, he's home. Another thing here is just Russell Wilson, who has once again tied his bathrooms to touchdown ratio, but I'm looking to, for him to break that He's going to break ratio, it, baby. And he's going to break the narrative <laughs> this week. Russell Wilson is 35-19-2 against the spread in his career as an underdog, including 5-2 and two with the Broncos as an underdog. And one more little snippet here, because Denver is such a big underdog this week, Above a touchdown, Russell Wilson is 6-0 and against the spread all time. So give me the Denver Broncos to cover this 12-and-a-half spread on the road. Interesting. I like it. I like a big, gross, ugly pick. With my fourth pick in the best bet gauntlet, I am going to go with Chicago, getting six points on the road to Detroit. This one hurts my heart a little bit because I want Detroit to win and win comfortably, but I think that this is going to be closer 
than a, a touchdown or six points. I think that Chicago does the one thing that Detroit can't do very well, which is run the ball. Um, and by Detroit not being able to do it well, I mean they can't stop the run. Clearly, they allowed 8.8 yards per carry against the Carolina Panthers last week. Over 320 yards of rushing in that game by Carolina. Unbelievable how bad that run defense was last week. I don't know how they're going to fix that magically this week. It'll be better because there's no way for it to be worse. But how much better? This this team in Chicago is able to run the ball. It's kind of all they're able to do. They've got a, a, a running back who's a little bit underrated, a little bit vanilla, but he can he can get some significant production. And then they've got a quarterback, more importantly, who can run for 100-plus yards in a game. We've seen him do it already multiple times this year. I think that they're just a scrappy team that's going to keep it close. So I like Chicago plus six at Detroit. With the final pick in the best bet gauntlet here, we're going to break our one week streak of not having a head to head because we're going right at to it. it here. We are back at it. And with our final pick here, we are going to go to this New York Giants Indianapolis game. I will be taking the Giants minus five and a half and Easton will be taking Indianapolis plus five and a half. Now here's why I think the Giants are going to cover this game pretty comfortably. Nick Foles once again is getting the start for the Colts. Foles is three and 11 straight up in his last 14 starts dating back to his playoff days with the Eagles. And the Colts are seven and eight on a six point teaser this season, the worst record of any team in the NFL. The Giants, however, are 11 and four against the spread this season. And that's their best against the spread start since 2008. And Daniel Jones has been quietly good at closing out bad teams. He is 13 and eight against the spread first teams off a straight off straight up loss covering five of his six last game last six games in that spot I see Nick Foles continuing to struggle and the Giants looking to finally clinch their spot in the playoffs are looking to get it done give me the Giants minus five and a half so the reason I'm taking the Colts plus five and a half is the simple fact that I think this Giants team is overinflated. The line is overinflated for them. I think that they will probably still win the game, but I think that Indianapolis with Foles isn't all that different from Indianapolis with Matt Ryan. I think they're both pretty washed. I think that Foles can't possibly be worse in this game than he was last week. And and simply put, I think that this, this Colts defense is good enough to hold a Giants offense at bay. I think that it's going to be closer then uh, I think it'll ultimately probably be a field goal game. The Giants will win. But I like the number of points that Indy is getting in a very low total game. I believe the total in this game is like 40-41. So I just like the big dog here. All right, that's going to do it for our best bet gauntlet in re- review. JT taking the Packers minus three and a half. The Steelers plus two and a half. Texans plus four. Broncos plus 12 and a half. Giants minus five and a half. I am taking the Jets minus two. The Saints plus six and a half. The Colts plus five and a half, the Commanders minus two and a half, and the Bears plus six. And, and my one pick of the week here, as you were going to say, two fifteen in the morning. I have maybe I've gone insane at this. What do they hour say, JT? Nothing. The, nothing good day. happens after nothing midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. However, I'm going to break <laughs> the laws of physics on this show here and give <laughs> okay. you one final pick that goes against all. <laughs> laws of aviation and 
physics and science and whatever you have, because I'm going to be okay. taking with my favorite pick of the week that I didn't even use. I'm going to take the Bengals, but not as a plus one home dog. I am teasing the Bengals up to two and a half. So basically I'm betting on the Bengals to win by a field goal in this game, mostly because it's a homer pick. And also I will be at the Bills Bengals game this Monday night. You'll be at the game rooting for the Bengals. Super excited to be there. We'll be uh, doing a little bit of uh, stoogery and reporting from that game. See how that goes is from the AFC side, but I'm excited to go to that game. And if you want to tell me on that one, please do, because that is my favorite pick of the week. And I will be very excited to see that one out. All right. Those are our picks, including JT's bonus sixth pick with the teaser as a, a favorite made from an underdog. I like the confidence there. That's going to do it for the show at 2.16 a.m. on a Friday morning. We appreciate you guys sticking with us. Not a whole lot to say here. Please leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the show. We will be back with you on Monday. At some point on Monday, I can't promise what time of the day, but I'll have a show from Colorado, where I'll be this weekend. But probably going to be talking to somebody, maybe James Foster, we'll see, about the Titans and Josh Dobbs and all of these things that percolate over the weekend, reviewing the weekend that was in the NFL, all that good stuff. Until then, for producer JT, I am Easton Freeze. Thanks for sticking with us. Have a great weekend, everybody.